announcement, Tuesday night class is on Wednesday this week because of Trunk or Treat. So for those of you that come to that or are interested, this one week it'll be on Wednesday. Okay. The media has lost their cool over climate change. You can throw tomatoes, no rocks. The global warming that's changing our climate is already having dire consequences. Climate change hysteria is overblown. The planet is warming and human activity is the primary cause. These are all headlines in the last two weeks. The climate issue is a defining issue of our times. Several lawmakers introduced a resolution asking Congress to declare that global warming is an emergency. The world is going to end in 12 years if we do not take serious action against climate change. Global warming is a hoax. Fight against global warming. Do we have a confused culture or not? Driven by fear. We have lots of data. Don't get me wrong, we have lots of data. We're not sure what it all means. What we're not going to do is solve this problem. Just to let you know. We're in a series for or against how to think with integrity. By that I mean, let's go back to scriptures and see if we can find anchors in here that give us insight into how to approach these cultural issues. We're working to uh, find better ways to have these discussions for the purpose of helping our own culture. I think we're entering into one of the bloodiest presidential elections in my lifetime. And so this fall and into the spring, we decided to jump into some of these hot topics and uh, take a look at them and see what the Bible has to say about that. And these issues that we're jumping into are defining both our culture and our politics. But they're also shaping the way we feel about things because many of them are driven by fear. My observation of the media, they love to, uh, they love to drive things by fear. Somehow it has more power if they do that. So remember that we are working to improve our community to create a flourishing community. If our community right here at DCC is flourishing, then we will have impact in Summit County. If not, if we're fighting and we're divided, then we've already lost the option, the opportunity right there. And so we're working to learn how to have these discussions and have them right here. And we can do this as long as we remain um, undivided. But if we're divided and argue based on causes, then we've already lost the, we've lost the opportunity. We've lost the chance which is why we're taking a look at these. But remember, as we get into these discussions, we're going to remind you regularly, we're using the metaphor of a cracked pot. We're in that phase as image bearers that we're not perfect. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. We're not there yet. None of us are. And so at best, it's going to be confusing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to enter into these conversations. We're going to remind you that all the time. Okay, I think we would all agree that there are things happening within our environment that make us all nervous. Am I right about that? 
things that are happening. We see the news, the headlines, we see it. You know, I travel to Nepal every year to teach. And um, deforestation is a real problem. Three and a half million people in Kathmandu, and they cook over fires. And you have to travel miles and miles and miles to find trees because of deforestation. That's a problem, isn't it? Nancy and I just came back from a cruise on vacation, celebrating our 35th anniversary. And uh, we had discussions with some of the captains about the, the barrier reefs on the islands that are shrinking. Okay, we should be concerned about that. We just read all the things related to climate change. It's all over the news, climate change. So there are things happening that have our attention, right? What I want to do is to anchor some of these ideas in the scriptures to walk away with perhaps a what I consider to be a healthier and a better way of thinking about it. In order to think theologically, I want you to think in the language of ecology rather than climate. Ecology is a term that has to do with inter- interrelatedness of systems. Okay, We are a community of creation. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute, but we belong within a community And I'm going to argue not over a community. We are part of it. We share this community with non-human creatures, don't we? But we also share it with the rest of creation. The trees clap their hands, don't they? That's what the psalmist says. And so everything is tied up together. Prior to the 17th century, the concept of stewardship... Thanks for reading Genesis 1. Um, That's where that idea comes from. We exercise dominion over creation. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. What does that mean? But the concept of stewardship prior to the 17th century assumed that God controlled creation. It's his creation. It's not ours. With the rise of the various fields of science that began to change, stewardship began to be seen as our responsibility to manage or control, to manage or control what happens on the earth. And so that's taken full-blown in its uh, definition, in its expression right now. Everything you read, we are the ones responsible. But there's a growing sentiment among biblical scholars that these recent ideas involving stewardship are misguided. I agree. I think they're misguided. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. What if God had something else in mind? What if he had something else in mind? You see, the Bible conceives us as part of a larger community, which we share. Oh, we do have responsibilities. So all throughout the sermon, I don't want you to hear that we don't have responsibilities, because we do. We'll get to those later on today. Um, but it may be different than what is what we're being told and how we're uh, how we're thinking about the world today. Before we get into that, though, let's address some of the questions associated with these modern ideas. These are, dis- these are ideas and questions that shape or assumptions that shape the discussion today. The first one is, question number one is, does stewardship mean that we can or even have the responsibility to control or manage the earth, our environment? There's an assumption behind certain uh, uh, approaches that say, yes, we do have that responsibility. But I'm going to argue that the Bible reveals that humans have very little to do with managing or controlling creation. In the book of Job, Job you know the story of Job? He has been, uh, Satan goes before God and asks permission to, to bring harm upon Job because uh, God had said he's the most faithful man if you considered him. So God gives him permission to do that, and he does. And so all throughout that the book of Job, what's happening is he is getting 
hurting more and more and more. The total length of time is about a year. And as you trace the messages of Job, his response to his friends, every step of the way as you trace the messages of Job, he's becoming more and more angry at God. And so by the end of the one year, his conclusion is, where is God? If he would come and listen to me and hear my argument, he would repent and apologize. Okay? Um, We're going to go there because God gives him a hearing. Where's Job? New Testament, thank you very much. I might have to give up my seminary education, my degree. I think I had to pass the order of books tests. And I just drew a blank. That's okay. I know what it says. So in Job, here's what happens. God shows up. The moment, the moment Job says, where's God? If he's here, he would repent and change his mind. Job shows up. I mean, God shows up and says, okay, brace yourself like a man. You wanted a hearing? You have it. I will ask you and you will answer me. Okay? And in the middle of that, we're going to read Job 38, verse 8. Now, you've got to remember what God is doing here. Job had just said God would repent and change his mind. So God is dealing directly with Job's statement. But the way he does it is opens up the whole conversation to creation. Okay, that's what he does in Job 38, 39, 40, 41. It's, it's an amazing, it's almost repeated in Isaiah 40. We have many, many passages we could go to, and I just picked these. So here's what he said. Okay, Job, you think you know everything? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come, now he's talking about the ocean, and no further. Think about all the discussions going on right now about the rising seas, islands that are going to disappear, all of that. And look at what he says. God says, this far you may come and no further further. You see, God, not humans, sets the boundaries for the oceans. Then he goes on to verse 22, and he talks about the weather. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, Job? Have you been there? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way, Job, to the place where the lightning is dispersed or place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Surely you know. You think you're so wise. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland And make it sprout its grass. You see, God controls the weather too. There's many other places, many other paragraphs in this long section. I only picked two of them. 
So the second question is the first question that we asked was, does stewardship mean that we can or even have the responsibility to control or manage our environment? And I'm arguing, no, we don't. I agree with the church history for 1,700 years. We do not have that control. Do we actually believe God is sovereign? It's his creation. Well, this is his argument laid out for Job. Let's go on to another question. Is God himself engaged in taking care of his own creation? There's a law, a strong element today that says God is not responsible and God is not engaged. That's a form of theology known as deism. God set everything in motion, turned it over to us, and walked away. Is that what we believe? I think the Bible reveals that God is actively engaged in all of creation, including its maintenance and its care. In uh, Colossians 1.15, very famous verse. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, it doesn't matter. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Does that sound like a passive God to you? So it's not like a God who just walked away and said, have at it. Everything is held together by God. Everything. That's Colossians 1. Well, again, back in Job, um, he goes a little bit further, talks about the stars. Job 38. By the way, while I was talking, I remembered where Job was. <laughs> I guess I did pass seminary. <laughs> Job thirty-eight thirty-one. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? He's talking about the stars. Here's what we learn. Here's what we learn. Creation is far more than the earth. It's far bigger than the earth. Let's don't forget that. That should factor into our discussion. Can you bring forth the constellation in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Job, do you know the laws of heavens? The heavens? Do you know them? Can you imagine what Job was feeling as he gets asked these questions? I love it. Can you set up God's dominion over the earth, Job? Can you do that? So he controls the stars. In 39, chapter 39, he talks about the wild donkey. Who let the wild donkey go free, Job? Who untied its ropes? I gave it to wasteland as its home. See, I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for pasture, searches for any green thing. So he cares for the wild donkey. So he controls the stars. He cares for the wild donkey. And then, interestingly, when he gets done in chapter 39, here's here's this. Beginning of chapter uh, 40. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Ah, but God's not done. He's only halfway through his exam. Brace yourself like a man. I will ask you. I will test you, Job. And you will answer me since you know everything. It's just amazing. And here's where all of the book of Job is heading for. And this relates to us today. Verse 8. Would you 
really discredit my justice? You see, Job had no idea that Satan was even involved in the discussion. That's information we have behind the scenes. God takes full responsibility for what Satan did to Job. And Job shook his fist at God. And here's where God concludes midway through the exam. Would you really discredit my justice? Would you do that? Think about that when you suffer. Could you really do that? Then he asks the second question. Would you actually condemn me to justify yourself? This is a way of saying, I am God, you are not. And I can do what I choose. Powerful. Powerful. Then he goes on from there. Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his, Job? If so, then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Go ahead, unleash the fury of your wrath, Job. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all those all who are proud and humble them. Go ahead, crush them. Crush the wicked, Job. Go ahead. Tell what you want. Go ahead. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. When you can do that, then I will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. It's one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. It points out very clearly who is in charge and who is not. God is sovereign. We are not. You see, God is in control over everything. Everything. That's what we get from this. Okay, the third question. Are humans over creation or do we live within it? That's an assumption today that we are over creation. It is responsible to us and we control it. Is that really true? I don't think so. I think the Bible communicates that we are in a relationship alongside of rather than in authority over the creation. You read Genesis one twenty eight. We are to fill and subdue the land. God blessed them and said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So fill the earth, subdue it. The question is, what does that mean? This word subdue has a very violent aspect to it. Take it by force. And that's common that was common for the last 30 years to interpret it that way. And that has, in my opinion, justified the idea that maybe we can exploit it. But when you look at that word more carefully, and you begin to look at when it's tied to the word land, it has more the idea of taking possession as opposed to Taking it by force. So what does this mean to take the earth by possession? This is the heart of what stewardship is all about. This concept right here. You see, the only way humans can fill the land is to cultivate it. There's no other way. The land by itself can't produce enough food to sustain human life. It's not possible. The earth needs us to cultivate it so it can take care of us. 
It's where we get the idea of serving the earth. We live in a symbiotic, a mutual relationship with creation. Doesn't mean we don't have responsibility, because we do. But the very beginning is understand this idea of subduing, subduing the earth is cultivating it so it'll take care of us. In other words, uh, humans are to work the land and help the earth accomplish what it cannot accomplish by itself. We work in partnership with the earth to accomplish more than it can accomplish on its own. That's what's behind tilling the garden. The job given to Adam. What's behind our responsibility is to work carefully with this earth to help it produce more than it can produce by itself. Because if we don't, it can't take care of us. It requires us. So let me give you some summary thoughts before I tell you more about stewardship. Number one is we lack both the knowledge and more importantly, the power to control nature. But even if we have it, would we want to control nature? Who's going to decide? Do you want somebody other than God making these decisions? Boy, our voting would become much more important, wouldn't it? If whoever we voted in could control nature. It's not possible. It's not even possible. Next, the Job story is designed to to give us a healthy sense of humility, of where we fit in the order of things. We did not create the order. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created the order of things. So I says to Job, Job, do you know the laws of the heavens? Do you even know them? He put those in place. Our job is to maintain them. That's our job. So the Job's, the Job's story is to ensure our humility when it comes to controlling creation. He uses creation to tell Job why Job has no authority to claim that God is wrong. Because he's not wrong. Never is. You see, when God looks at his creation, if you read the rest of the stories in Job, these uh, chapters, uh, when you read it, when he looks at his creation, specifically his human and non-human creatures, you find that he delights in them. He laughs at them. I can't wait to get to eternity and say, God, what were you thinking when you made a porcupine? A skunk? Sloth. Who would have thought of a sloth? Right? God made all those, and he laughs. And he laughs. This is his creation. They are his creatures. He loves the similarities, and he loves the differences. If we are to rule us, and that means we're made in his image, if that is the case, then we should demonstrate this joy that he expresses with humility. That's the story. We should laugh. We should enjoy this wonderful gift that he gave us. It should draw us to him. That's what should happen. And yet we know that creation languishes in pain, right? Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, there's no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. Break, they break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Wow, it kind of sounds like today. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, they're swept away. It's because of our evil that creation is struggling. 
You may remember uh, Romans 8. We're coming to that next. I preached on this in the amphitheater. and go back and listen to it if you want to hear the fuller expression of it. But Romans 8, he starts off, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Why did he go from our suffering to creation? Why didn't he go from the suffering to the cross? That's what we expect, right? No, he goes to creation because we are paying a price. That's why we are paying a price for our, and all of creation is paying that price. This is a normal part of life right now until all things are renewed. Yeah, the earth is paying a price and all the animals in it. Okay? But there's ultimately, there's hope. He goes on in 8.23. For the creation was so, are not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, those are Christians, we, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, for the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not have. This is what creation is waiting for right here. They're waiting for our redemption. So they can finally say, those humans got it together finally. The earth, the creation was frustrated by God. He subjected it to frustration because of us. This is part of the life that we live right now. The ultimate answer does not lie in effective environmental policy, better technology, voting in the right president, all those, those things are all important. That is not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is in a renewed creation. That's the ultimate answer. Doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities, because we definitely do. We'll get to that in just a second. When we look at the entire biblical story, we see that the gospel is the story of all of creation. You've heard me say that the gospel is that God loves this entire creation and is working to redeem it. He's working to redeem it. So what is stewardship? If you conceive of creation as an ecology, okay, that we are embedded in creation and dependent on it, along with all the animals and all the other aspects of creation, then everything begins to look a little bit different about our role. For the kingdom of God is about the renewal of creation. That's really what it is. Psalm 103, God rules as creator over all the creation. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all the heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Psalm 95, his rule is over everything he has made. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It is his creation. We should not forget that. Do we have responsibilities? Sure we do. But let's start with the idea that we serve a sovereign God. Don't panic. Don't panic. This is the essence of the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is renewing home for us here. 
But secondly, it begins with us. It doesn't start with the rest of creation. Revelation envisions a new heaven and a new earth. This verse that we read all through the amphitheater, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. They are part of a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. That's the re- our reality. That's our reality as Christians. Now, what we learn from this verse is that it doesn't happen like that. Because we live in two worlds. That's what that verse tells us. We are already part of the new creation, even though we live in a broken world, a fallen world right now. Okay? This is not about replacement theology. It's about renewal theology. That's what it means. This is what stewardship is. We help the earth do more than it can do by itself in partnership with us. We work with it. That's what tilling the soil That's what subduing the earth is all about. So let me close with these thoughts. Yes, we do have a responsibility to preserve the earth we have received and to care for it because it is a gift from God. It sustains us and we love it and we live in it and we enjoy it. And do you realize that all these people out here that don't know the Lord, they're already doing one thing that God desires. They're enjoying his creation already. You want to have a gospel you want to have a gospel conversation and evangelistic conversations about Christ? You're already doing something God desires. You're enjoying creation. Boys that open the door for conversations. Our practices and policies should be creation friendly, not creature friendly. When we begin to give more weight and precedent to one aspect of creation over the rest of it, then we begin to get skewed. And we begin to enjoy that arrogance, that hubris of what, that we know what is best. And I think our policy should be creation friendly. We should till the earth. In other words, take care of it and help it flourish without exploiting it. And by the way, that's true for all of creation, not just the earth. That's what eternity is going to be up. There's a whole creation out there we haven't even gotten to yet. This implies, this concept of tilling the soil, that word that's used in the garden, implies a human shaping of the natural world. We were created to work with the world to shape it into something even better. We should move to protect the creation from harm as much as possible. Uh, I'm so thankful when I was in Nepal in February, I could see the stars for the first time. I saw the stars every night. So I went down, I'm staying at the house of the president. I went down and asked her and her husband, what's going on that I can see the stars? She said they made three changes. They made it against the law to burn their food over wood. And they brought in gas canisters. The government did for everybody. So everybody cooks over gas, number one. Number two is they started collection of garbage. Because what you always do is put garbage on your sidewalk and burn it. She said they started a collection process. Number three, they made it illegal with a big fine if you burn your, your, uh, your garbage on the street. Now I can see the stars. Okay, imagine, I'm talking to my students. Some of them have never seen the stars. But you enjoy so richly up here. They have never seen it. I have a picture of the house across the street from where I was staying. The road is only one and a half lanes. That's how close it is. I could easily hit it with a baseball, a rock. And it's just an outline because of the pollution. And all of a sudden... They can see the stars. We should move to protect the creation from harm as much as possible. I'm glad that we had sunblock to put on that is 
friendly to the barrier reefs. I'm thankful for that. Didn't know we were doing damage before. Now we're doing far less. We should remember that care of creation involves the poor as well as the animal world because they're all part of creation. All Jesus had to do was one thing in front of the Pharisees, only one, point to a poor person as evidence that they had missed the entire intent of the Mosaic law. That's all he had to do, point to a poor person that they had failed. A lot of other things that we consider, we should consider, but I think perhaps the most important is we should learn how to have the discussion. You see, because we have insight into a creative God, don't we believe in a sovereign God? We do, don't we? Who loves this entire creation. It's his creation. He made it. I don't think he's about to let it destroy itself. Because of that, then we have information that we can bring into the conversation in healthy ways that brings hope and rest. Because my take on the media is it's trying to make us all terrified. We don't need to be. Don't worry about Washington. Pray for Washington and vote your conscience. Worry about Summit County. I love being part of a church where Bob Vandercoy is replacing all of our lights. We recycle. I love it. That's good. That's right. Because the earth is suffering frustration, waiting for us to get our act together. Well, let's get it together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for giving us such a fabulous, fantastic creation. And then asking us to steward it, to work alongside with, of you and partner with you in making the creation even better. Thank you for that. Wow, what a fun, fun job. And help us to find ways to engage our neighbors in how to help our own county to be better at these practices. We can make a difference here. And Lord, we do pray for our president and our government that they would, you would give them the wisdom to put in place the right policies. It's very complicated, very complex. Give them the wisdom to do the right thing. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Can I ask the ushers to take the offering? Thanks for being generous. You are. Reaches to 